And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to another edition of Atlantic and Coastal, the Athletics ACC podcast. I'm your host, Andy Bitter, also your Virginia Tech football beat writer for The Athletic, coming to you for another week of thrilling ACC action. Uh, the league has struggled a bit in these first three weeks, and I think it's fair to ask at this point, is anybody in the ACC good? Clemson has no offense. Virginia Tech cannot score near the goal line. North Carolina looked better, but it already has lost to Virginia Tech. The Florida schools are an absolute mess right now. Virginia has no defense. Pitt lost to Western Michigan at home. NC State Louisville looked really bad against the SEC teams. The unbeaten teams in the league right now are Wake Forest and Boston College. And golly, I just don't think we know if either of those teams are any good. They haven't really played anybody. Sorry to Florida State for saying that with Wake Forest's big win last week. But I, I just don't think you're very good. So I don't know. Is any team in the ACC any good right now? To figure it out, we bring in our Clemson writer, Grace Rayner. Uh, from The Athletic. Grace, welcome back to the podcast. And I have to ask you right off the top, is anybody in the ACC good <laughs> this year? Um, honestly, no, right? At least not right now. I mean, I think the way we thought that this conference would play out three weeks in has been nothing like what we expected. And I don't know. I keep thinking about how there were three ACC teams ranked in the top 25 in the preseason before all of this started. And now I don't, I don't want to be say like the sky is falling in three weeks in, but like the sky is definitely droopy. If the sky is not falling, then it definitely looks like, (laughs) like, like independence day, like this giant (laughs) foreboding alien ship is coming over. Like it is not, friendly skies right now in the ACC this has to be Commissioner Jim Phillips's worst nightmare he takes over and he makes this point like football needs to be the best and it needs to lead the way and we need to really pump a lot into football and these are some of the stats through the first couple weeks for the ACC is three and eight against power five teams uh, non-conference wise the the wins Pitt beating Tennessee UVA beating Illinois Duke beating Northwestern uh, Tennessee, Illinois, Northwestern, not exactly top of the conference opponents there. You're not getting these marquee wins. Uh, the ACC is 1-4 against SEC competition. That is the league that everybody strives to be. They have not been good in those games. Two losses to MAC teams. And shockingly, one of them wasn't. <laughs> shockingly, one of them wasn't Syracuse against Ohio. Syracuse actually handled its business against Ohio, but Georgia Tech loses to Northern Illinois. Pitt loses to Western Michigan. Uh, Duke lost to Charlotte in the opener. Florida State lost to an FCS team, Jacksonville State, in the most excruciating manner possible. Uh, that I'm looking at this league, and I think for the longest time, Clemson would sort of cover up all the other league's problems. Like the league could be extremely mediocre, but Clemson is great, makes the playoffs, winning national championships, and nobody 
really looks at the ACC quite like it did the Pac-12 or the Big 12, where it didn't have that banner carrier that was in the playoff every single year winning stuff. Clemson slips a little bit this year, and all of a sudden you look at the rest of the league and you go, man, this league kind of stinks. <laughs> I really wish that um, the listeners could see your face right now because the fact that you're saying all of this with a straight face, I'm like very impressed because those are some absurd statistics. They're bad. They're bad. I, I, I'm, I'm guessing this. I mean, I think we still agree that Clemson is probably number one which is maybe a sad commentary on the conference by now. But if you're doing power rankings, and the, you know, I see them do this on the ACC Network, Packer and Durham all the time, and you get to number two, and you're scratching your head about number two, who would you put number two right now in the ACC? I don't know. I mean, records-wise, I guess you have to look at Boston College and Wake Forest. Talent-wise, I thought it would be North Carolina, and then we saw what happened to them in the season opener. I really don't know. I, it would probably be one of those three schools, but I don't I don't feel super strongly about any of them. I don't know. What would, what would you put? I've thought about this. I look at Wake and, and Boston College, and you look at who they've beaten so far, and it's a lot of the sisters of the poor. I mean, it's uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. Temple and uh, teams like this, Norfolk State and Old Dominion for Wake Forest. I mean, they're the Norfolk City champions by beating these two teams. Florida State, I'm sorry, but Florida State's the worst team in the ACC right now. So I, I don't look at that win and I go, oh, they beat Florida State. I look at it and I go, they beat the worst team in the ACC right now. So I don't quite know what we have in Wake and Boston College, I guess it would come down to North Carolina and Virginia Tech. And after last week, I mean, I they played head-to-head and Virginia <laughs> Tech won. So I guess you would have to put Virginia Tech ahead of them. But I honestly, I feel like North Carolina is a better team. I, I just feel like... You know, Virginia Tech got them in that one week, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are a better team all the time. And the way that North Carolina played against Virginia, they look like normal on offense, whereas Virginia Tech looked like a mess offensively up at West Virginia. I might be tempted to put UNC as the second team, and I, I think the pollsters agree. I mean, they have North Carolina ranked right now. Yeah, I think that's the the, the logical – I was going to say eye test, but I don't even know if you can say eye test because we saw the eye test against, against Virginia Tech, but – I, I think that is what I would put number two, but um, I don't know. It just feels like the ACC as a whole is very much coastaling itself this year. Like the Atlantic has totally gotten in on the fun and is like, let's just burn this dumpster right now. This is a disease that has spread <laughs> across the division lines. Uh, maybe we shouldn't use that analogy in this time of COVID where there is actual <laughs> virus spreading like that. It feels like that's what the case is right now. Let's talk about Clemson. I mean, this is the team you cover. This has been the uh, team that has carried the banner for the ACC for seven, eight years. I mean, since ever since Florida State dropped off, it's been Clemson as the king and nobody really coming up to challenge the, the throne right now. Clemson does not look good, though, and you've had a close-up view of this. They struggled offensively at Georgia. I think everybody understands that. They go, you know, Georgia's – I mean, I saw Shane Beamer's comments this week on, on George, playing Georgia's defense where somebody's like, you know, what was why was it so tough against Georgia? He's like, damn, they have five-star athletes <laughs> all over the place. Like it, was, it was a great response that he had. So I think you look at that result and you go, okay, well, maybe they just struggled against that. But then – they go out and they struggle offensively against Georgia Tech, who I don't think anybody is confusing with a great team this year, and it raises an eyebrow. They have to come down to a fourth and goal stop at the end to preserve that win. 
Uh, what is going on with this offense? What has been uh, such a problem for this group so far? Yeah, I mean, that is the million-dollar question. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic here. I've, I've literally never seen anything like this for, with Clemson since covering them since 2017. They just have no sort of rhythm. They are dead last in the ACC in total offense. They are dead last in yards per play. They are dead last in plays of more than 10 yards. I, I don't know what is what is going on, honestly. And I think what was so baffling to me about the Georgia Tech game, which, by the way, Georgia Tech, a team they hung 70-plus on a year ago. <laughs> and, and, like, and, like, slowed down to only score 70. Like, they took all, as Trevor Lawrence and all those guys out. Like, we've done it. Yes, for sure. Trevor threw for 404 yards and five touchdowns. But Georgia, I think what is so baffling to me is Georgia Tech comes in here and Clemson coaches after the game are like, we prepared for literally zero of what they did to us defensively, which I have all sorts of questions about how that happened in the first place, but I've just been so stunned watching this Clemson offense not impose its will on these other teams. Like you have better athletes, you have five stars everywhere. You have a quarterback who Clemson spent all summer saying DJ Uyunglele has the biggest arm they've ever seen. Trevor Lawrence included. Justin Ross is back on this field. So I don't know. I feel like every time I look up and I'm like, why is Clemson not taking deep shots to Justin Ross? Why are they not just just ramming it down their throats? They're the better team with better talent. But this offense just has absolutely no rhythm, and um, it shows statistically. Do we overestimate how easy it is to just pass the baton from one star player to the next supposed big thing. I mean, I, I think we looked at this and everybody just goes, well, Trevor's going to hand it to DJ and he'll take the baton and run with it. Uh, Travis Etienne will hand it over to the Will Shipley as the next running back. And these guys are five-star recruits and everything, but they still have not played. They're still very green uh, on the field and they need to to prove it once they're out there. Do we? Is the media sometimes just sort of overestimate how easy that is and think it think it should just happen like that snap of the fingers and you know it's going to take some time sometimes I think that's definitely possible and I do think that the standard by which we're evaluating DJ was set by a a pretty impressive precedent uh, against Notre Dame last year and so in the small snippets that we did see DJ last year he had so much success I think a lot of that you look back now and he had a, a Travis Etienne, which which Clemson doesn't have currently right now. I think Shipley can grow into that, but you're right. He's green. He's still a freshman. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think the part that's baffling and confusing with Clemson is that even though they're having these growing pains and maybe we, maybe we are having these high expectations for them and I don't know, maybe as the media were, we, maybe we are underselling how difficult this is. But when you look around at the rest of the league, I, that's where I think that that the questions pop up with Clemson, like Clemson at its worst should still be better than some of these other teams that are coming in here, as we've talked about at the top of this podcast, just all over the place. Well, it's interesting because now you're starting to see some stuff pop up at Clemson that doesn't normally pop up at Clemson and Lynn J. Dixon going into the, the transfer portal this week a couple weeks into the season. I guess you sort of had that with Kelly Bryant a couple years ago, deciding to, to shut it down and then take the red shirt so he could go elsewhere. But uh, it is interesting to see something like that happen. What what can we expect from Will Shipley? I, th- I think we've seen a little bit of him so far. He's such a touted recruit, obviously incredibly athletic, but what, what uh, can Clemson expect out of him uh, going forward here? 
Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at the at the Linjay Dixon transfer, on the one hand, Clemson is obviously losing a big chunk of depth in the running back room. On the other hand, I think that this might be the beginning of Shipley getting into a rhythm and really starting to carry the load for this team. I mean, this is a guy who, like you said, five-star freshman. He has, he's making his first start this week against NC State. He, he earned that. Um, but when it was crunch time for Clemson at Georgia Tech, they gave the ball to Shipley. I mean, he had 21 carries for 88 yards and two touchdowns. Um, this is clearly, you know, I think we learned so much about personnel and about coaching decisions when the game is on the line, and they very clearly felt like Shipley was their guy. So I, I still think that they will kind of – I think they will still rotate him with Kobe Pace, the sophomore. Pace has started two games. But Shipley is, is, in my opinion, the best running back on this team. He's extremely versatile. He's, he can, you could use him in the passing game if you want to to open up some of these things. Uh, he runs through contact extremely well. And I think he'll give Clemson the spark that they need, but I just – I don't know. I think that, A, they need to get him in a rhythm, and then, B, they got to figure out what's going on up front with the offensive line. Yeah, I, I think they have problems galore on that offense. And I'm curious, Tony Go- Tony Elliott has sort of been the golden boy uh, as an offensive coordinator there. And he was also very blessed to have Trevor Lawrence as somebody who I think can cover up a lot of problems uh, on a team, especially the offensive line, which I think is it's sort of under the radar been an issue for a couple years now. Uh, it just hasn't been right. You saw it a little bit last year with the rushing yards were way down. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot they have to sort out on that side of the ball. I wonder... Is this team good enough defensively this year to get by through the ACC with an offense that's still figuring things out? Because that defense is outstanding. Now, they lose Tyler Davis for seven to eight weeks here. Uh, that's a pretty big loss on the interior line. But, uh, you know, Clemson coming down to the rest, of the rest of the pack in the ACC, can a defensive-only team like this or whatever they can get offensively be enough to get through some of these games? I certainly think the defense is good enough. I mean, they still haven't allowed a touchdown all season. Um, oh, is that important? Yeah. <laughs> Trying to score touchdowns? Um, I think, though, I guess it's a question of, do I think Clemson's defense is good enough? Yes. Do I think they can carry the load all season if they have to against the ACC? Yes. Do I think they will? I don't know. I mean, as you mentioned to Tyler Davis, he's out for seven to eight weeks. He has a bicep injury. That's a huge hit to that defensive line. And then Brian Brzee, the other starting defensive tackle, he is completely braced up. He has a shoulder injury right now and he's playing through it. Um, but you know, you don't, you don't feel great about, uh, you know, I don't, if you're Clemson, you don't feel great about that, that your one of your starting tackles is out and your other one is playing hurt. So, um, I think they can do it and I think they're talented enough, but I just, I don't, I just think they, they just need more help. And it's not like they're asking the offense to go up and put up 40 points. You know, they, they Georgia the the Georgia game showed that I mean they they're talented enough I just they need the offense to do the, in my opinion like kind of the bare minimum and I know that sounds harsh but it's not a big ask it seems like right now if they get to 10 points you have to feel pretty good yeah about their chance yeah the 100% defense is playing yeah which is interesting for this week, uh, and let's get to this NC State game because I think it's a really intriguing one. Clemson is 10-point favorites in this game, which I think is interesting because it's a team that has struggled to get over 10 points. That's a big number for a team that's uh, having as many offensive problems as they are. This series is is an interesting one to me because Clemson has won eight straight in the last two times they've played. They didn't play last year, but the two years before that, they've been they were blowouts. They were not close games, but... 
there have been a lot of close games in this series prior to that. 2017, 38-31, Clemson wins in Raleigh. 2016, the overtime game uh, where NC State misses the field goal in regulation to send it to overtime. And it was a really makeable field goal. And you look back at that, and that's a national championship year for Clemson. You go, man, what could have been? If the Wolfpack win that 2015, 56 to 41, Clemson win in Raleigh. So obviously the Wolfpack were putting up points in there. 26, 14 in 2013. Uh, then you go back to 2011 and NC State beat them 37 to 13. Last time they've won in this series. This has been a, a close series when, especially when the games have been in Raleigh. So I'm curious when you saw that 10 point line come out as an open, did that surprise you? Did that seem big to you? Um, I don't know, actually, if how I felt about it. That's a, a good question. I mean, I think you make a good point that it's kind of interesting and it's a 10 point line. And, you know, is the score going to be 10 to zero? I mean, I, I don't I don't know. Clemson's offense has to be able to score 10 points. I do think that they're more talented than NC State. I think they should win this game, but I thought they should have looked better against Georgia Tech. I thought they should have looked better against South Carolina State. I mean, you look at this NC State defense and Dabo Sweeney was saying it this week, they're built a lot like Clemson's defense, and there are a lot of similarities there. And they have, I think, the number two rushing defense in the ACC. And so Clemson, they're, they're going to make Clemson run the ball against them uh, with this kind of 3-3-5 structure. So I, I don't know. Weird things happen with Clemson NC State, as you said, like laptop gate and – uh, then the, the I forgot about that. <laughs> oh yeah, that's like that that was, that year was so wild. That's probably my favorite like Clemson NC State memory. But I do think that there's always been this sentiment of like, can State get over the hump? Can they do it? Can they do it? Can they do it? Can they be Clemson this year? Blah 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 blah. I actually do think that they they could do it this year. Well, NC State is such an interesting team to me because so much of of what's built up around them just feels like it's empty calories in the preseason and they go out and they they've beat South Florida and they've beaten Furman by a combined score of 90 to 7 and then the one real team they've played so far Mississippi State right. they, they go on the road and they look terrible right. they lose 24 to 10 and honestly the game was not that close I think it was 24 to 3 up until the very final seconds there so it's a tough team for me to figure out NC State because I saw them I saw last year they were what 8 and 3 feeling very good about themselves and but they lost every team they should have they avoided Clemson and Notre Dame uh they lost to Virginia Tech when Virginia Tech wasn't very good they lost pretty badly to them actually in the opener so I don't know what to make of this team and I, I look at it and Peyton Wilson is hurt right on the defensive side that's a big that loss hurts. but then I look at that I look at that offensive side and Devin Leary gives them something at quarterback and Zonovan Knight and Ricky Person a decent offensive line I feel like this is a team that probably could challenge Clemson's defense as much as anybody as they faced. I mean, Georgia really didn't look good in that opener, and I think that's partly, you know, Georgia's struggles there. Georgia Tech, I don't think they're a very good offensive team. This might be one of the better or stiffer challenges that Clemson's had so far this year, perhaps. Yeah, and I think that for as much as we've talked about the Clemson offense, Dabo Sweeney this week has, was very upfront about how defensively against Georgia Tech they're, they're coming off their worst game, just – Bus, miss assignments, leverage, all that, all that good stuff. Um, and yeah, I mean, I like, I like what Devin Leary has done so far. But I think I'm with you too. And I don't even feel this way only about NC State. I really feel this way about almost everyone we've talked about. It's so weird that we're in Week Four, and it feels like we still don't have a good read on so many of these teams because they've played so many randos for lack of a better word like I there are so many teams and I'm like well maybe I'll learn more about them this week or maybe I'll learn more, more about them next week 
I actually think that finally we will learn more about the identity of Clemson and NC State this week, but it is odd that, you know, this is four weeks into the season and we're still like, I don't really know what to make of these guys. Well, two teams that I feel like we have a pretty good grasp on right now are the two ACC Florida teams. Uh, <laughs> I don't think there's really any gray area with how these programs are doing. Miami dropped to one and two after losing at home to Michigan State, thirty-eight to seventeen. Uh, I don't think the game was as lopsided as that score makes it out. But if you're Miami and you're six and a half point favorites in that game, you don't expect to lose that uh, to a Michigan State team that's still sort of. You know, trying to build up under Mel Tucker there. Florida State, meanwhile, is 0-3 for the first time since 1976. Bobby Bowden's first year. Grace, to tell you how long ago that was, that was before I was born, <laughs> and I am old. That is, how, that is a long time ago. I'm thinking about that uh, now. Davos Sweeney was born in, like, 69, I think, so he would have been seven. It's been a minute it has since been a minute. it's been that bad. Uh, obviously, they've had the, the embarrassing loss to an FCS team on that pseudo Hail Mary. It wasn't even a Hail Mary. It was just like a go pattern. They they played it so horribly. Lose 35-14 to 14 last week at Wake Forest. And I think the shocking thing about that was that it wasn't shocking. Right. It was just it was just so like, yeah, of course Wake Forest is going to beat this bad Florida State team in Winston-Salem. I'm looking at these two situations. Which of these feels more hopeless to you? Is there a coach that is in more peril right now based on how his team has started between Florida, Florida State and Miami? I tend to lean on the hopometer, if you will. I think Florida State is a little more hopeless. I mean, I just – you cannot – I mean – Zarek Cooper, former Clemson quarterback, by the way, is a very good quarterback, but you cannot lose to Jacksonville State at home. You just can't do it. Like, there's just no excuse excuse for that. And I think that what's interesting, and you and I talked about this a little bit off air, is just you look at as the chatter heats up about job security, does Florida State have if the, if they wanted to make a change, do they have the money to do that again, or is this is this just the situation that you you have? You know, this is just kind of the cards that you're going to be dealt if you're Florida State. So I don't know. I just uh, I just have I have no faith in Florida State right now. I don't. I have next to no faith in Miami, but I think I have slightly less faith in Florida State. I was willing to give Norvell a bit of a pass on that first year just because it's it was such a big undertaking to turn that program around he he took over in a covid year mm-hmm. these uh these coaches now that get hired in december they're not even getting that first recruiting class really sure. they're, they're missing it because of the early signing period yeah you get more guys in the later period but a lot of players are off the market at that point so i sort of give first year coaches a pass like this we're, we're past that point now though i mean he's zero and three in year two, and that is a school that famously does not show a lot of patience with its head coaches. Right. I went back and look at this. You know, Willie Taggart was fired up to 21 games. Jeez. Nine games into year two. And do you know what his record was in year two when this happened? Oh, boy. He was four and five. Three and four in the ACC. And I'm looking at Norvell, and he's two and seven in the ACC so far. Uh, you know, Taggart gets fired after 27-10 loss to Miami. Right. So maybe if they have some... You know, really uh, bad loss to a team that is going to just you know, blow up publicly and, and everybody's out there. I, I don't know. Like I'm with you. I don't know if they can do that uh, monetarily. Right. Have another coach on the payroll that they have to turn over. And obviously it's not working. It's not working to fire a coach after two years and bring right. another one. You're just going to do it again right. and again That's and the, again. Like who they're going to go get that wants to come into this situation. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but So that's part of the reason why I actually think 
Miami is is in a rougher spot right now. Okay, and you're talking about you're talking about year three uh, for Manny Diaz. And not only are they having the problems there, and, and now Derek King, you look at him, he's got a shoulder problem. Uh, very doubtful this week, I think, and you kind of wonder about his long term future there this year. I mean, they're playing Central Connecticut State this year. I think you can rest him in that game, and it's not going to be a big deal. But if he can't go the rest of the season or for much of the rest of the season he's been such a big part of that right. and the problem that Miami has had is on that defense and that's Manny Diaz's baby there that's what he took control of in this offseason it was such a big deal about him calling defensive plays again and, and they're just not having a, a good go of it on that side of the field and plus it's Miami I feel like whenever things kind of go wrong at Miami there's no team that just sort of closes up shop <laughs> and just folds like the Hurricanes do so uh, and he's further into his tenure than Norvell is in, in year three. And it kind of makes you wonder, I don't know, did, is this a situation where they, they throw Manny Diaz overboard and try to go get somebody else? Can they pony it up and go get a Mario Cristobal? That would cost a lot of money. For I don't sure. know if Miami has that kind of money to throw it around. But, uh, geez, he, both of these situations just seem like – I mean, the ACC needs these schools to be good. Yes. If, if, if you're the ACC commissioner and you're like, I mean, we got to be good in football, but you're, you're pulling your hair out just looking at these two schools. Go, they need to be better. Yeah. I mean, I think about just how much – like, we watch Florida State versus Notre Dame, and then in two weeks, I don't, know that, I don't know that my mind has ever changed that dramatically and that quickly about a football team in that span of time. Like, watching what they did versus Notre Dame to then Jacksonville State. Like I, I, it doesn't. It doesn't even seem real. Well, as it turns out, Notre Dame might not be that good. Yes, I mean, <laughs> I, think, yes. I think it's one of those situations where it was like when Notre Dame played Texas a couple years ago, and, and Texas won that, and everybody's like, Texas is bad. <laughs> it's like the worst Notre Dame team uh, in, in modern history. There, so I think some of it is just like it's fool's gold that first week, but. Uh, man, it's, both of those programs are in a really, really rough situation right now. I do want to look at a couple games from last week real quick. A uh, couple of them stood out to me. One I was at and one I was uh, listening to in the car on the way back from West Virginia after that game. We'll start with that one. The UNC uh, beating uh, Virginia 59-39. to uh, I think a lot of questions going into this one about whether UNC's offense was really all that. And you know, they struggled in the opener against uh, Virginia Tech, beat a Patsy in week two, and nobody's you know, uh, singing hosannas about how great the offense was after week two. But you go against UVA, Sam Howell throws for 307 yards, five touchdowns. He also runs for 112, which I don't think a lot of people think of Sam Howell in that way. Ty Chandler, 198 yards, two touchdowns. Josh Downs, 203 yards and two touchdowns. This feels like the offense that we were promised about North Carolina, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you look at UNC, they have the best rushing offense in the conference. I think they've got some really good things going with Ty Chandler, and then that opens everything up for Hal, and we've, we've seen his arm, and we've been promised this big air raid and the fireworks and all those things. Um, you know, I've, I'm a little surprised he's thrown four interceptions already, but, um, you know, yeah, you look at the Virginia game, five touchdowns, and I think they, they – I think UNC needed that kind of get-right game to, to pump the brakes on, on the public panic and, and prove, hey, yeah, our offense actually can, can click. Um, but, man, just what a, what a bizarre opening week for them at Virginia Tech to now. But I, I do think that this, this UNC offense is back to where we thought it would be. 
the Tar Heels are 12.5-point favorites against Georgia Tech this week. They're playing that in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. That's the one game a year they're moving into that, uh, that you know big venue like that to have a what I would expect would be a decent crowd in there. I'm curious. It, it, I haven't looked at the odds lately, and I'd, I'd want to see what they are from the you know Vegas and the guys that you know money matters <laughs> on this whole thing. Would you consider UNC to be the Coastal Division favorite at this point, even though they've already lost a game to Virginia Tech and, and don't have that head-to-head tiebreaker down the line? I think I would, yes. Um, I think that I trust, and I'm, gosh, I'm probably going to eat my words in like two months. I think I trust. That's what we do all the time, <laughs> all the time. It doesn't matter. Nobody remembers if you're wrong. <laughs> right? Totally. I think I trust UNC to not mess it up down the stretch a little bit more than I do Virginia Tech solely because I think UNC might have gotten its screw up out of the way early. Yeah, I could see that. And, and you know, having watched Virginia Tech closely, I'm, I'm telling you now, this is not a team that's going to go 8-0 in the ACC or seven and Mm -hmm. one. I think it's going to have a couple losses there and that's going to open the door for UNC down the line. I think I would have the Tar Heels as the favorite myself as well. Uh, You know, I I bet you the betting markets reflect that right now. I should have looked at that before coming on the podcast, but uh, it's something to monitor as we go forward. We'll get to that Virginia Tech, West Virginia game in a second. I do want to pause and just recognize what Brennan Armstrong. Yeah. My gosh. I mean, it, it was absurd listening to on the radio. Every play is like a 30-yard gain downfield. And Armstrong, another one. He threw for 554 yards and four touchdowns in that game. He is 1,313 yards of offense right now, 9.31 yards per play. Both lead the ACC. This was a stat courtesy of David Hale at ESPN. He's a stats guy, always has really interesting stuff. Quarterbacks in the past decade who threw three games have 13 touchdowns, 1,300 yards, 70% completions, and no more than three turnovers. It is Patrick Mahomes and Brennan Armstrong. Oh, my and gosh. That's that is wild. <laughs> that is an insane stat. Uh, pretty impressive so far for Brendan Armstrong. And that, I feel like nobody really gives him his due or expects that from him. I don't know what it is, if it's like he's lefty or he's not a big, tall guy that's out there throwing, but he's had a pretty impressive start so far. Yeah, I mean, he's a, what, 400, I, wrote, I think I wrote this down right, 432.7 passing yards per game, best in the ACC. I mean, if you had told me a month ago Brendan Armstrong was going to statistically be the best quarterback in this league, and statistically, DJ Uyunglele was going to be one of, if not the worst. Like, what the heck, man? Like, is Brendan Armstrong the best quarterback in the ACC right now? Yes or no? Right now, maybe. I mean, Sam Howell just outdueled him yeah. in that game. I and mean, it's not like Howell was, you know, bad in that game. He threw for 300 yards and five touchdowns and ran for another 100 plus. So. I'm probably still going with Howell, but Armstrong's in the conversation. He has to be in the conversation. If you're doing an ACC player of the year list right now, he's in your top three. I think so. Easily. Yes, for sure. And and I bet you a lot of people would vote him number one right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, good for him. I remember, I don't know if you remember this, but when we, and I'm kind of outing ourselves here a little bit, but when we did our ACC preseason roundtable, there were a lot of Virginia fans upset in our comments that we did not give them more kudos and i remember thinking like "Eh, whatever i just don't feel super strongly about this and now i'm like all right well maybe they knew something we didn't 
I'm upset because I did actually feel good about Virginia, but I went with Virginia Tech as my sleeper in that. And of course, everybody's like, oh, you homer, <laughs> unbelievable homer. And uh, I've gone on the radio, I've gone on this podcast saying that I liked what Virginia has offensively. Uh, defense needs some work there, giving up 59 points like that. Uh, we'll see if they can shore that up. Going across the state, Virginia Tech losing to West Virginia. I was at that game, 27-21 to 21 was the final. Virginia Tech somehow had no business being in that game and also no business losing that game. <laughs> like, it was, like they played so poorly at the start of that game and yet they still had chances and they had three trips inside the five-yard line and had no points. Wow. No points on three trips, including the very end where they got this gift of an interception deep in West Virginia territory, unable to punch it in. West Virginia gets the stop, comes, comes away with a win. Uh, all of the goodwill that Justin Fuente earned by beating UNC in the opener is gone. That's already. And I mean, it is, fans are out for blood. I mean, they are going crazy right now. They want the offensive coordinator fired. They've wanted this for the longest time. Uh, It's an interesting situation. And I don't think all the blame can be on the OC. I think a better quarterback play, better offensive play in general. And some of that is execution, but nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear execution is great. They just want to hear, Who's to blame and, and get this coach out of here? He's terrible. I'm curious from an outside perspective and, and seeing Virginia Tech start the way it did against North Carolina. Were you surprised to see this score come up, uh, Virginia Tech losing the, in this manner? Yeah, I mean, you come out and you beat a North Carolina team that everyone's like, I mean, we're, we were talking North Carolina up as, are they going to maybe beat Clemson in the ACC title? Can they maybe sneak into the playoff? I mean, and they, yeah, I was I was very impressed by what they did in week one, and I guess I don't I don't know what I want to say like stunned or shocked, but it is it is weird that here we are two weeks later, and they like you said three trips inside the five, they can't do anything, and like now the sky is falling. I don't know. I've I've actually been wanting to ask you about Virginia Tech fans for a long time, and just like the expectations and if they're if they're reasonable or if you think that they're um, asking for too much. They're reasonable and unreasonable at the same time, and I'll explain that. I think they're unreasonable in the sense that I think people look back and they go, this was a team that was a quarter away from winning the national championship, and it was. And you know, When the program had a transcendent quarterback, uh, the best, you know, one of two best defensive players they've ever had in Corey Moore, uh, Bud Foster at the top of his game as a defensive coordinator. Frank Beamer sort of found that magic uh, in recruiting Virginia and special teams. And it was a different era of football. It was 20 years ago uh, before money really, you know, uh, seeped into the sport and the haves and the have-nots. The divide became so great between those two. And I think Virginia Tech has struggled to keep up in that sense. That said, when Justin Fuente was hired, his famous line in convincing Bud Foster to stay on staff was, you don't have to play perfect defense anymore for us to win. And it's not to that point. I mean, the the defense has not been playing perfect, but it's been playing pretty good, and the offense is still not carrying its weight. And Virginia Tech fans look at this, and they go, this is the same story it's been for 20 years. And you look through the entire Brian Steinspring era, Scott Leffler took over for him. Uh, at the end of that time, Michael Kane was a play caller in there for a while. Uh, you know, this was supposed to be the change that this program was going to have. Justin Fuente comes in, he brings a modern offense. They're going to be great on that side. They're going to have Bud Foster's defense. It just has not worked out. And now it's year six. The offense is still struggling to punch it in from the five yard line. And Hokies fans just have to be thinking to themselves, this is Groundhog Day. I'm waking up every day and it's the same issue 
over and over and over. So in, in a sense, I think it's unreasonable when you look at this should be a national power and a national contender. I always thought Virginia Tech was somebody that's sort of crashing the party okay, uh, in, the, in that sense. But I think they should be better than what they are, yeah. and especially what they have been on the offensive side. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I guess I just always wonder, and not just with Virginia Tech, um, but a, with a lot of fan bases that are, you know, we're three weeks in and calling for heads. Just who who do you want, <laughs> you know? Right, exactly. <laughs> I think that's the other part of this whole thing. It's something I brought up last year. It's like, well, you get rid of Fuente and – who are you going to hire? You're probably going to hire everybody's like, well, he was a group of five coach and he can never coach at this level. It's like, well, guess what? That's where the pool of coaches come from. Right. That you're looking at. Right. You're not, you're not buying out somebody from Texas right. or something like that. Like the money is just not there mm-hmm. to do something like that. So, uh, yeah, it, it's a roll of the dice whenever you make a, a coaching change like that and bring in somebody new because so many coaching changes don't work out. Yeah. Probably the vast majority of coaching changes don't work out. And it's why when these programs get somebody like Fuente or Dave Doran mm-hmm. and you go, what has he done? Or Pat Narduzzi, what has he done over his time to keep his job this long? And part of it is just you know, the risk of the unknown is so great that you think that maybe it's it's better to have this guy that's sort of been – you know, sort of stumbling along and maybe a good year every now mm-hmm. and then maybe he can figure it out and get over that hump. So it's a really tough situation, I think, for some of these ADs, especially in these programs that have sort of revenues that are not top of the line. And right. for the ACC, that's pretty much everybody. <laughs> Once you get past Clemson, <laughs> yeah. and Florida State, and, and Louisville. Louisville actually has quite a bit of money because of the basketball side. But I think that's the fear with a lot of these ADs. It's like, yeah, I could fire him, but who am I replacing him with? And am I just putting my job in further danger? by doing that uh, I do want to look at, ahead at some other games this weekend uh, because I think there's some interesting ones out there and I'll start with the Wake Forest Virginia game that's on Friday and the Cavaliers are four point favorites in that game I was maybe a little surprised by that and I'm sure I'm, I'm hearing all the Wake Forest fans now going finally like 36 minutes into this podcast <laughs> we're going to talk about a team that's three and oh I think I feel like Wake Forest is just perpetually overlooked in this conference, and I'm contributing to that with this podcast by not getting to them uh, until this point of it. Uh, this could be a really interesting game to me. But first of all, I think there could be points galore. Yes. Because Virginia doesn't play any defense. Obviously, Brennan Armstrong, and I think you look at Sam Hartman, a 68% passer, six touchdowns, one pick this year. I think that that wake offense is really capable as well, and I think Dave Klosser just has that offensive mind. I don't quite know what to make of the Deacons right now. I've beat Old Dominion, Norfolk State, and Florida State. Uh, you see them sort of every year with Clemson. I'm, I'm curious your take on Wake Forest and, and uh, if you've paid close attention at all to them so far this season. You know, I also would like to get a better read on them. As you said, they have wins over Old Dominion, Norfolk State, and Florida State. So what do you make of that? Usually it's 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 funny when you look at Wake Forest. Well, maybe funny is not the right word. But when you look at Wake Forest when they're always playing Clemson, you know, Clawson has joked about how Wake has played Clemson closer with bad teams than they have recently with some of these better teams. And so I don't know that I actually get an accurate view of Wake every year because for whatever reason, like these games have just not been competitive between Clemson and Wake. And so I I see Wake from an outside standpoint of their their building, they have so much so much experience back. I think Clawson, we've talked about this before. I think Clawson is the most underrated coach in this conference. But then every time I see them, it's like 63 to 3 or, or what have you. So this year I think could be a little different. Like Wake and Clemson are going to play each other, I think, the penultimate game 
of the regular season. Like, they're going to get a November matchup, and, and Clawson was very bullish on the fact that Wake wants to be playing for something when that happens. Um, so I think this year could be a little bit different. But, yeah, I, I think that this Virginia game is kind of a litmus test for both teams where we're finally going to start to kind of figure out both teams in a way we haven't already. This is Wake Forest's schedule. Uh, if they can get by this unscathed, they play versus Louisville at Syracuse at Army, which is a challenging non-conference game. Nobody wants to play that option offense mm-hmm. there, but that is a non-conference game. Versus Duke, and then they play UNC. And that UNC game is a non-conference game. Oh, it is? Again? It's that weird one. I'm pretty sure I I should look that up to be absolutely sure before then. But I think that's one that does not count the ACC standings. So if Wake Forest can win this, they can be in a pretty good spot in the ACC going into that tough stretch of games at the end of the year where they play NC State and they play Clemson. This could be an interesting team to watch. I have them second Mm -hmm. in my preseason ballot. I'm feeling pretty good about having Wake Forest up there now. Yeah, I mean, the other team that we look at in the Atlantic is Boston College, and then Dracovic, he's unlikely to come back at all, right, with this hand injury he's done. So, um, you know, I don't – I, I hate that for BC, but it, it is hard to put your faith in a team that just lost the starting quarterback for the rest of the year. So, yeah, I'm with you. I think Wake is my number two Atlantic team at this point. Well, good transition because BC was the next game I want to talk about. Missouri at Boston mm, College. Mm-hmm. BC, BC actually opened as a one-point favorite in this game and is now two-point underdogs. And I feel like the Eagles are a lot like Wake Forest in that I don't know exactly what they are. Mm-hmm. They've beaten Colgate, UMass, and Temple, which is uh, – you know, even basketball-wise, that might not be that impressive if you beat those teams. Football-wise, certainly not the case. Uh, Dennis Grizel last week replacing Phil Dracovic. 7 of 15 for 59 yards with a touchdown and a pick. And he added a rushing touchdown. And this is a game they won 28-3, to so maybe the Eagles didn't have to throw the ball a whole lot. But, man, going from Dracovic, and, and that was the, all the excitement about Boston College, and now you have the backup in who throws for 59 yards in his first start. I feel like BC fans, you have to feel good about the record so far, but maybe a bit deflated about the chances of this team going forward. Yeah, I thought it was interesting just in as we were prepping for this podcast, I you know, was just reading up on BC and Boston College's own website, like bceagles.com or whatever it is, their official team website said that it was like after their last game and it said outlook. And then it said like a lot of this outlook is dependent on the report they get from Dracovic. And that's like the school's PR people basically saying, yeah, a lot of the, the way that this looks moving forward is, is what happens there. But I'm curious about just because you look at Dennis Gravel. It's Gravel. Is that how you say his last name? Uh, Grizel, I think. OK, I, th- I think that's right. Grizel. We're going to butcher it. We're going to butcher it. I, I feel – okay, I'm going to apologize to Boston College fans now. Anyway, he – I mean, he threw 520 yards versus Virginia last year. So, clearly, he has an arm, but he also threw for three picks that game, and then he only plays in three games last year. So, it's like you have this very small, very weird sample size of, all right, clearly he can air it out, but where do you go from here? I, I, I don't know. Yeah, it, it's an interesting game because I don't really know what to think of Mizzou either i mean they've played one decent team so far they lost 35 to 28 Mm -hmm. seems like they can score points i I think just in general i've looked at how the acc has fared against the sec this team here this year and it has not gone well i think i would side perhaps with missouri (laughs) even though they're the visiting team this year but i i don't know it's a tough one uh to pick a couple other matchups here and i'll I'll just list them and tell me if you have an interesting thought about any of them liberty is a five and a half point favorite at syracuse 
Louisville, a two and a half point favorite at Florida State, and Kansas is a sixteen point underdog at Duke. Um, okay, thoughts on those? You and I were chuckling off air that Duke being a sixteen point favorite against anyone good for good for them. Not something. If ever there was going to be a team they were a favorite, <laughs> against a, a power five opponent, it would be Kansas. Yes. It's been just dreadful. Even though I thought they showed a little bit of spunk in that Coastal Carolina game for a while. They moved the ball better than I thought they would in that game, at least. Yeah, and then what was the other one you said? Louisville is a... Louisville, you, two and a half point favorite at Florida State. Two and a half? That's it? Yeah. Well, remember, Louisville, it basically beat UCF on a walk-off pick six. <laughs> that, I mean, it wasn't a walk-off. It was a very significant play for UCF to do that last sort of, uh, you know, pitch it around and try to throw and make it happen because Dylan Gabriel gets hurt on that play. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think back how consequential the end sequence of that game is, but I mean, they are a, a gift interception away at the end of that of being one and two right now. That's true. So, that's true. Not like Louisville is necessarily hitting on all cylinders. Yeah, that's that's fair. I've been impressed with Cunningham though, and just his toughness, and just he like he. It looked like that UCF game; he was just so banged up. I was like, "How is this dude walking?" Um, I don't know. Maybe it's just I just have so little faith in Florida State that I hear single digits, and I'm just I don't know. Yeah, I could see Louisville easily winning that by three point. I mean, you're just asking for a field goal on the road. I don't know. Vegas usually knows something with this. That's true. Uh, that is true. I, I'm cur- The one that I'm curious to see is Liberty at Syracuse, mm-hmm. and Liberty is a favorite. The Flames famously won there, 38 to 21, a couple years ago, and that was before they had Malik Willis, who is like a legit NFL prospect. Uh, seven touchdowns, no picks this year. He's done against Old Dominion, Troy, and Campbell. Uh, Syracuse surprised like. Th- Tell me how much this surprises you. Syracuse has the number four defense now. In the nation. I saw that too and was like, Behind, what I in was, the world? Iowa State, Wisconsin, and Georgia are the only teams ahead of them. Uh, and I know they haven't exactly played a murderer's row uh, of teams here, but Syracuse, I haven't really talked about them a whole lot on the podcast these couple weeks. Maybe I have to start doing it. If they could beat Liberty, I guess that would be a good start for it. They have the best defense in the ACC. Like, what in the world? You look at Clemson and NC State, and Syracuse has the best defense in the ACC. Like you said, you take it with a grain of salt considering who they played. But I saw that, too, and I was like, number four in the country? What in the world is going on in New York? Yeah, something tells me that will change a little bit. That's not exactly what you think about when you think of Dino Babers' team at Syracuse. Right, a, right. He's <laughs> an offensive-minded coach, uh, defensive-minded game plan there right now. That will be an interesting one to watch. All these games will be interesting because the ACC is such a mess that every week is an adventure. It is. We'll have brand new, we'll have brand new stuff and brand new disappointments to talk about next week. Grace, thanks for so much for coming on uh, and, and talking about this ACC mess with me. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I think messes are kind of fun. So anytime you want to talk about a dumpster fire, you got my number. Yes, it, it, all these other leagues can talk about how great they are and how many championships they win. The ACC is the the one true league where you get these ridiculous upsets all the time. Maybe the Pac-12 is like this, too. Uh, historical programs just in the complete dumps right now. Half the league's coaches feel like they're on the hot seat. This is fun. This is what we're going to be talking about on this podcast all year long. So, Grace, thank you so much for coming on. (laughs) Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody go give Grace a follow uh, on Twitter, at GM Rayner. She's going to be uh, at that NC State game this week. Uh, That should be a fun one because I I think that could be a lot more interesting than people uh, think going into that just based on the names that are involved on that. 
That's another show in the books for us. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Uh, please go rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. That helps us get the word out, uh, get more listeners on this podcast. That's our goal. We're going to try to run through the entire ACC pretty much every time we do this. A little bit something for everybody uh, every week. Subscribe to The Athletic. You can listen to this podcast ad-free. We have a great 50% off deal going right now. Go to theathletic.com slash pod. Check it out. If you're not a subscriber, sign up. Get that great deal. You can follow me on Twitter at AndyBitterVT. We'll be back next week uh, to talk about all this crazy ACC action once again. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.